Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, welcome to OEM Update. This is technology editor Charles Rathman. And on this episode, we're talking about construction equipment electrification and specifically how to design, specify, and manage products around lithium-ion batteries. We're here with Nick Moore, Director of Sales for Electrification at Briggs & Stratton. And we're going to fire a bunch of questions at Nick so we can learn more about the ins and outs of designing equipment products around lithium-ion batteries. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks, Charles. Glad to be here. A uh, topic I love talking about, so appreciate you inviting me on here. Yeah, I'm super curious about it. So let's start at the beginning. Say you have a light piece of equipment or vehicle that currently relies on an internal combustion engine. What are the steps a new product development team needs to go through to reimagine that product around lithium ion technology? Sure. So, you know, really there's probably two basic paths you can go down. Um, one would be to actually instrument up your piece of equipment to try to measure what the actual loads that uh, it's going through when it's doing its work are. It's real easy to just throw a higher horsepower engine at something and know that it's able to do the work. When you're going to look at electrification, you really want to know what's the actual need uh, throughout the whole use case. So you know, if you are able to instrument up and capture that data, excellent. That's going to give you a, a great basis to use to start. The other option is then really build a prototype. So let's take a guess at, at what batteries uh, size and, and motors you may need and build one up. And then, you know, that allows you to very easily capture and, and really see what you're able to do and, and understand if it's able to do the same amount of work or not. So really, there's a wide variety of, of battery options out there and motor options that, that you want to make sure you can narrow down what you're looking at. And really, from, from there, it's a matter of, you know, doing your own research and seeing what's out there or partnering with suppliers who can you know, put all those components together and make sure that it all works well together. So it's unfortunately not as easy as you know, replace your engine with a motor and uh, your gas tank with a battery. So there's a, a lot more uh, work that goes into it. Okay, so when it comes to the approach where folks instrument up the equipment to determine the capacities and building that prototype, do you see one happening more than the other? I'd say it really depends on industry and OEM capability. You know, there's a lot of equipment out there that came out of uh, someone's garage once upon a time that, you know, solves problems and worked really well and it grew into a large business and they, they make a lot of them. Those types of companies don't necessarily have the capability or, or staff to, to do instrumenting. So for them, hey, let's cut and weld and build something and, and put that prototype together. I'd tell you it's probably near a 50-50 really depending on if you look at, you know, kind of macro view at the industry and, and OEMs and, and how they go about it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in terms of specifying a battery, uh, let's talk about how different duty cycles and operating conditions impact 
what that right fit battery is going to turn out to be. So I'm wondering about what factors do designers need to think about, like the insults the battery will be subjected to, any trade-offs they have to consider between weight and capacity, and just how different applications impact what that useful life is going to be between charging. Yeah, so a lot of different factors that you want to review to really figure this out. And, you know, the big thing moving to an electrified product is, is the battery ends up being a really big cost. So you, you have to make some critical decisions. I mentioned earlier about, you know, it's easy to throw more horsepower and typically you don't throw double the engine cost to increase a horsepower or two and to have a little buffer. Um, you know, when you're designing something that runs off battery, you know, too much battery, you end up being way more expensive than you need to be and potentially uncompetitive in the market too little battery and your customers get a bad experience because, you know, they don't get the runtime or maybe, you know, it, it's underpowered. You, know, you saw a lot of that in the years past when in certain industries, as they started to go to electrified equipment, customers would typically say, oh, there's not enough power. Well, it's because the, the OEM maybe made a, a decision trying to save on cost that ended up giving them that less power. There's plenty of power capable to do a lot of work in electrified equipment. So it, it's really Unfortunately for the OEM, uh, you know, that's really the paradox is how far to go in either direction. So a couple of key aspects that are really critical to helping you decide, you know, which battery is right for you. Because again, the just looking at what kind of battery and the battery specs is so broad in this market right now. So, you know, one key aspect is you look at a lithium ion battery and they have a specific operating temperature range, which is, you know, the cell temperature, not just the ambient temperature. So if you run in a hot area, and you really got to consider how hard you run that battery. You know, the battery's current or amperage that the battery is capable of, you know, is basically what would translate most similarly to when you think of the power to do the work. So the higher amperage you're pulling, the harder the, the cells are working, which can build temperature. You know, you really need to look at, you know, how hard you want to run a battery because along with that you can start reaching those high end limits. High temperature can impact life. Also, when you're pulling the most amps out of a, a battery pack is, is also when you, you're running up against, you know, minimizing runtime. You really got to do the math uh, around all those aspects to figure out what kind of runtime you do want, what type of currents the load and you know, the work that you're doing is going to take and balance that all together. And that becomes pretty hard. While lithium ion batteries are light compared to lead acid on a large piece of equipment where you're looking at a lot of battery capacity, you're likely going to be a lot heavier than maybe an engine would be. Then you got to look at center of gravities and things like that and where to actually fit the batteries. Kind of a lot of different puts and takes to, to put into the analysis of, of what the right way to go is there. You know, but really another thing there, as we talk about how hard you do or don't push the battery, most manufacturers kind of just give, here's our optimal range and this is what you operate in. And depending on the capabilities of the battery manufacturer, you know, some might say, hey, you can operate outside that range. You're going to sacrifice life based on what that battery is designed for life-wise. That might be okay. So you can possibly get away with a smaller battery and just push it harder, or you can speed up charging so that you can actually continue to do the work you need to do. So you really want to understand what the battery manufacturer's base recommendations are, but then you know, what their knowledge and capabilities are. To, to work with you as an OEM to possibly work outside of that if it's possible. Yeah, so it seems like this isn't simple and straightforward process. And frankly, a lot of our OEM off-highway readers may be new to electrification. They may be wondering where they can go for help as they go through this application and specifying a battery. I'm not sure if there are people out there who can help them designing around a specific battery for products they may already have that rely on batteries or how those processes differ in terms of timeline and scope. If you already have a battery in your product versus designing a product that had formerly relied on an internal combustion engine around lithium ion batteries. 
knowing that a lot of OEMs will need help and don't necessarily have the staff that has these expertise in-house today to just take their current product and electrify it. We took a different approach to distribution. We didn't want to look for people to just resell our batteries for us to the broader market. We pick these companies, we're calling them technology partners, but they're basically engineering firms in, in different sorts of industries. What they do is they will do all of that upfront work for, for an OEM. And they'll design and specify what size battery. They sell motors, they sell controllers, they do displays, they can program all that for you. So you know, we wanted to make sure that you know, with the the large quantity of OEMs who, who realize they have to figure out how to electrify their product, that we were making it as easy as possible for them. You know, that's the approach that we took at Briggs & Stratton to, to ensure that you know, we can cover as, as much ground as possible. So there, there's plenty of companies out there like that beyond just who we partnered with. There's other engineering firms out there that do that kind of work. You know, for the more capable OEMs, they're typically able to work just directly with us. We have our, our application engineering center that can give them enough detail and, and kind of best practices and things like that. When they do have, you know, some more electrical knowledge on staff, you're able to get through that. But yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of folks out there that are able to help. Replacing an engine is likely more difficult than when you're replacing batteries. The one interesting thing, though, is people, you know, if it's a lead acid battery powered piece of equipment and they want to go to lithium, typically they're surprised at, you know, the efficiency and the actual use that you're able to get, you know, the full range of, of a lithium ion battery versus lead acid it allows you to get away with less battery than you may think. If people are just saying, okay, here's how many watt hours I have of lead acid, I want the same in lithium. They really likely don't need that. The other thing is lithium is able to give you some higher spikes for, for short duration. Again, that, that if you have some high loads, you don't need to over battery size it and, and you kind of size yourself away from the competition. A, a lead acid conversion is probably easier because they're already doing motors and things like that, but it definitely is different. Some OEMs, you're able to help them say, oh, here's a battery size together. We think that works. They already have some motors and controllers picked out. You're talking a couple of weeks to months to, to get up and running and, and start getting data. Some other types of products and OEMs, you know, it, it could be a year-long project of you know, redesigning, trying to fit where motors can fit. Lots of times when people start to see what's all capable, you know, when you put a computer on board, uh, something that maybe just had a carbureted or, or a, a not even a fuel injected engine to see how much more data is there and how intelligent you can make the piece of equipment. You know, sometimes they, they want to keep going down that path. So it can become pretty uh, large project to start from scratch. And then again, the big thing is is really figuring out how much battery you need to get that runtime. It's easy to just dump fuel in a gas tank, but when it, you have a finite amount of battery capacity before you have to recharge, uh, you need to make sure you have that dialed in so that the users are going to get the, the runtime they want. Yeah, and I think that runtime is something that is going to remain important over the life cycle of battery in that piece of equipment because... It seems to me, and you know, feel free to let me know if I'm not correct about this, is that visibility into how many hours or how much capacity a battery is left before it needs to be recharged is pretty important because you want to deliver usable equipment that's intuitive. So I guess I'm wondering what capabilities OEMs should look for in a battery to make sure that they can expose battery health information to end users, and what kind of information is typically available and important in that setting? Sure. So... Uh, the one thing with lithium-ion batteries is they do require a battery management system, or referred to as a BMS, on board, which is basically the computer to help keep them safe, but also really to control how much power they deliver. Because if you just shorted a, a lithium-ion battery, it's going to give you everything it has instantly. Having a BMS on board is what kind of regulates that and will keep the battery running within the range that, that you want it to. Really, when you're looking at the landscape of what's available for batteries, you find a very wide range. You can buy batteries that don't even have a BMS. It's up to you to source your own and program it and all that. There's some that you know, have a BMS, but 
may have very minimal information available, all the way to some that give you way more data than you'd ever want. And it's really the sky's the limit and how you want to share with the user what's going on uh, with their their whole application. Definitely need to do your homework there and, and understand exactly what's available. Beyond that, then, you know, the BMSs communicate similar to like fuel injected engines that have computer on board. There's different communication protocols that you need to understand what do displays and or uh, motor controllers, what protocol do they speak with? Because you want to make sure that the battery is able to speak to all those different components to make sure that you can integrate it into your application. Having that BMS on board, then again, you can get very sophisticated with what you want to do. It becomes, you know, almost your ability of how tight of a resolution you want. You can have it where your runtime varies based on what the load's doing every couple milliseconds that it's going to be bouncing all over. You might want to dampen that so it's a little bit more of a current or or I say more stable signal that you're able to see, you know, about how much load is left. But the nice thing is, you know, let's say you're operating a, a very light load. It'll likely tell you, okay, I have a lot of time maybe left of battery capacity. And then all of a sudden you get into you know, if it's a mobile piece of equipment driving a lot faster or say it's a, you know, an, an, a mini excavator or something, you're starting to dig a lot heavier. It'll real time change and, and tell you, OK, based on the load that you're experiencing now, here's how much runtime is left. The the displays that are out there, you know, you can kind of custom make them to look whatever you want and, and give that information. Like I said, kind of sky's the limit, um, but definitely information that's available that OEMs need to consider how much or how little to go to their customers. When you, even to the point of where we've looked at just, if you look at your hand tools, um, you know, your drills and that, where it's just four LED bars, that gives me enough, or where it can just be a simple zero to a hundred percent. And just, that's the only number you see versus displays that have graphs and everything else beyond that. Yeah. Well, definitely usability. That's a huge element. And the way that people use the equipment though is another factor we should probably discuss because a lot of this equipment is just going to be subject to any number of abuses. And an OEM team may be wondering about what questions they should ask a vendor to make sure the battery they're about to specify or design around can survive and put up with the rigors of the application. What kind of durability and safety testing should OEMs be asking about? Yeah, this is a big area too, where the batteries on the market kind of run the gamut that you do really need to do your homework. Start with the outside enclosure of the battery itself. You know, you need to understand is the battery an IP rating that allows you to just bolt it on a piece of equipment and it can sit out in the elements? Or is it where you have to make sure you're protecting it against water and dirt and debris and things like that because it doesn't protect itself from those things? You know, you look at construction equipment, things that go on a job site, typically pressure washing is a big piece there. So you want to understand Is the enclosure of the battery rated to be pressure washed or do I need to make sure that I'm protecting it so that it can't be based on how I design the piece of equipment? So those are real big factors when it comes to kind of the environmental use case of of the batteries. And again, you see a wide variety of things on the market that meet or don't meet those needs. Vibration testing is probably uh, one of the biggest, most important aspects here for anything that's not just a stationary piece of equipment. When you look at the compliance standards, so when people say, okay, I meet whatever standard on the market, most of those standards do have a vibration requirement. But the the interesting thing there is the requirement typically to pass that standard is just that the battery doesn't start on fire through that vibration test, which is good. Absolutely, you want that. But beyond that, you want to make sure that the battery is actually going to live through certain vibrations and shocks and things like that. You want to make sure that it's going to not shake itself apart if it's on a piece of equipment that goes through a, a lot of vibration and through the work that it does every day. You know, I can share that the way we design our packs is that we want to be fully functional after any of those compliance tests. 
Plus, you know, being an engine manufacturer, we have uh, vibration profiles from a wide multitude of applications that you know, we have our in-house shaker table that we, we actually put our battery packs on and make sure that uh, they are fully functional going through all those different use cases. So you definitely want to ask a battery manufacturer what level of vibration testing have they done and what was a uh, pass in their book. Because if, again, if you're just using the compliance testing, it's likely not going to give you the full story that you, you need for your application. The other thing you really want to understand is what level of thermal runaway testing has a supplier done and how did their battery perform in that testing? Because different things of passive propagation resistance uh, that's a big term that we use and, and how our packs are designed to make sure that if there ever was an issue that doesn't spread even within the pack inside itself, you want to understand what methods a, a battery supplier has taken to ensure that if a pack is compromised, it's not going to spread and become a big issue. Even the most durable battery, even if it doesn't, to your point, start on fire and comes through various vibration insults and other things that it's subjected to, it's not going to last forever. So some OEMs may be wondering about the end of life for that battery. What with the new EU regulatory framework for batteries and environmental sustainability and governments push here in the U.S., what do people need to think about when it comes to where that battery goes when it dies and the environmental fate that it has? That's, it's an interesting one because a lot of people always think of end of life as maybe one thing in their mind, but really when, when you think about it, it can mean several different things. It can be that the battery just doesn't have the capacity anymore to do the job it used to do. So it just doesn't have the runtime anymore. As you're using lithium ion batteries, that's what happens is they just last less and less time over use. You know, it could be that you've used it completely up and it's completely dead, or you mentioned several of the physically damaged options. So, you know, you also brought up Europe there. Europe kind of makes it easy of saying this is what you have to do. But in the U.S., with not having that, really what, what I would implore OEMs to do is make sure that any supplier you're talking to, that this is a question you ask them because, you know, the reputable suppliers are going to have a, a clear direction for you know what to do or what, what you should expect when your battery reaches end of life. Or, you know, if you, if you have an issue, you want to understand how they execute their warranty and things like that. Because I, I've been in facilities that were using some other battery manufacturers and, and they had a pile of them. And they're like, well, I can't get them to tell me what to do with them. Definitely a question you want to ask up front to make sure that there is a plan. You know, you see uh, in articles almost every week of, of new recycling companies coming on board and things like that, because it's, it's going to become a business. You know, your OEM should be your partner in this to understand exactly that they have a plan and that they aren't just leaving you out there on your own. So, like I said, most of the reputable OEMs are, are going to be very clear on what their expectation and what they offer you, whatever that type of end of life case is. You know, that ESG element that might be behind a lot of the focus on end of life also maybe is one of the reasons that OEMs are moving towards electrification to begin with. I'm wondering, you know, what the drivers are that you see for this and what kind of demand is there for this in the market right now? Sure. You know, there's a lot of different drivers for different OEMs and different users to to go electric. You know, there's obviously the regulatory push. You know, you look at what California's doing in other areas like that. There's municipalities that can have, you know, their own regulation or expectations, you know, job sites, uh, even neighborhoods, things like that. You know, you mentioned, yeah, companies, obviously, you want to get credit for being ESG conscious and making sure you're pushing your product the right way to be sustainable in the market. Obviously, a benefit to doing that. But really, beyond that, there's a lot of benefits that you get and that the user gets by going electric. So you take construction equipment, for example. There's a lot of equipment that historically would be gas or diesel driven, and you used it before the walls were up in a facility or something like that, but it never really went inside because you couldn't with the exhaust. Well, electrifying those pieces of equipment kind of changed the use case and ability to do some certain jobs on a job site now where take a, a mini skid steer or we see a lot of the, um, the concrete bucket 
uh, or buggies now that are, are looking to move this way. You're able to now go in and out of an enclosed building without having to worry about having exhaust coming out and do jobs that historically you weren't able to do with that type of equipment. That's a big benefit that people see. You know, noise is really another big one. Job sites trying to have less noise. You look at the lawn and garden industry, it can mow earlier, later in neighborhoods that have restrictions, things like that. So a, a lot of different user benefits that are, are coming along with, with moving to electrified pieces of equipment. And then, and then really the, another one that we talked about earlier is that you now have this comes a smart piece of equipment. You have all this data available now where you can really improve for commercial users. It's, they're able to become more efficient and track their equipment and see exactly what it's doing and how it's being used. And they can you know turn that into improving profitability by only using it in the ways that, that it makes most sense. And you know, you're not sitting there you know, idling and things like that. Really, I, I don't know of an OEM out there right now that isn't trying to figure out at least how to have at least one offering in their product line of an electrified product because, you know, they want to make sure that they're staying on the cutting edge of technology and, you know, their customers are asking for it. So, yeah, a wide range of benefits out there and different uses that going electric can actually allow, you know, both the OEMs and, and the users to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And remember, Nick and his network of distributors are great resources for OEMs looking to help their customers reduce their carbon footprint. Again, happy to talk about this and, and would uh, implore anyone uh, that's thinking about going electric, um, you know, go out there and look. There, there's plenty of companies like ours out there that are happy to help you and, and help you on your journey. Hey, I don't know about you, but I found that fascinating. Electrification is coming and now you all have deeper insights into how to specify batteries that will take what your equipment users will dish out. Thanks again to Nick. And thanks to you for listening to this week's episode of OEM Industry Update. We look forward to seeing you right here each week for more insightful conversations affecting the OEM industry.